Well, good morning. Such a privilege to be with you all. My name is Rob Hamby. I am a church planter in the Charleston area. We're planting a new church called Point Hope Presbyterian Church along the Clements Ferry Corridor, uh, trying to reach Daniel Island and Kane Hoy. And uh, I'm so honored that JP would invite me to come and open up God's Word with you all this day. JP is a dear friend. We go back quite a ways. When I was the campus minister at Furman University, uh, both of the uh, Sibleys were part of our ministry there for a while. JP uh, played guitar for me in our large group meeting, and so it's so exciting for me to see the way that the Lord is at work through him and through you. I've been blessed by our worship this morning. I'm excited about what New City is doing in Orangeburg, and so I hope this morning that I can can be a blessing to you. If you have your Bibles, uh, the scripture this morning is Galatians chapter 1. We're going to look at the ver- first 12 verses. I think it's probably going to be uh, behind me on the screen, but just a little bit of context. Uh, Galatians is a book that was written, or a letter, by the Apostle Paul, and he wrote it to these churches in Galatia. Uh, Paul had gone to Galatia, and he would preached the gospel, and the people that were there had received the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ from his lips. Uh, They had embraced it as uh, their way of being saved, and they'd entrusted, they had, they bought into Jesus. Uh, They put all their, their hope in Jesus, and then Paul planted churches with these people, and then he left to continue that same work in other places. And after he left, uh, there were a group of Jews known as the Judaizers who systematically retraced Paul's steps, and they went through all of these churches doing two things. They undermined Paul's authority as an apostle. They said that Paul's not really a full apostle, and so you really can't trust what comes from his mouth. But more egregiously, they undermined his message. They said Paul got part of the gospel right. It's true. Jesus is important. The work that Christ did on the the cross is important. You do need to believe in him. But there's still work for you to do. You need to be circumcised, and you need to keep the law of Moses if you want to be saved. And so Paul, having heard that these these brothers and sisters in Galatia were beginning to buy into this gospel which is no gospel at all, was deeply troubled and distressed. And so he writes this letter, and it's different from his other letters because he doesn't start out with a a word of commendation. He doesn't say, I'm really thrilled to hear what's going on in your churches. He doesn't say, I thank God all the time for you, but he cuts right to the chase because his heart is burdened for these brothers and sisters that they know and that they believe and that they stand on the only true gospel. And so that's where we are this morning. We're going to look at the first 12 verses, but I want to set it up a little bit this way. I don't want to say about six weeks ago, I asked my son Simeon, who's 17 years old, I said, Simeon, um, how long have we been here, man? Is it like, is this our third year in Charleston? And he said, no, dad, (laughs) we've only been here a little over a year. I said, oh my goodness. I said, boy, this has been the longest year of my life. You know, as I look back on the last 15 months, they have been very frustrating. They've been very troubling. Um, They've brought me to my wit's end numerous times. We moved to Charleston to begin this church plant at Christmas time in 2019. We had just kind of gotten off the ground with a very small handful of people that were excited about pointing the hearts of Charleston to the hope of the gospel and being part of Point Hope Presbyterian Church. 
And then all of a sudden, the pandemic hit. And when the pandemic hit, it seemed like it was virtually impossible for us to put one foot in front of the other and make any progress in ministry. Um, and so there was a problem with making progress, and then there were other problems as well. There, our cultures, our world is fragmented. Uh, the world is full of people both inside and outside of the church with tons of opinions who are willing to share all the things that they believe and feel and think. And it's just been overwhelming. And so I got on the phone with a dear friend of mine. I was kind of surveying around the other churches. You know, pastors do this. JP, he's probably a holier man than I am, so he probably doesn't do this. But, you know, you're trying to figure out, you know, how can we have some progress? How can we have some success? You know, where'd everybody go? How do we get them back? How do we reach new people? And so you're looking at other churches trying to figure out what their secret is. Do they have some kind of secret sauce? Do they have some kind of magic? Is there something that we're missing? And so I called a friend of mine on the phone and I said, I kind of explained the situation to him. He's, a, he's a, an elder in the church. And I said, man, I'm just wondering if we're missing that secret sauce to ministry. Well, Paul kind of answers that question this morning for us and, and more. So give attention as I read from Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. The grass withers and the flower fades, but God's word stands forever. Let's pray together. O gracious God, we pray this morning that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts will be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Up until 2019, we had spent the, the prior 15 years in the Dallas-Fort Worth area doing ministry. Our families are from South Carolina, but we became well acquainted with I-20. If you jump on I-20 somewhere below Augusta and you take it west, it'll take you to Texas. It'll take you to Dallas. And so we became acquainted with the various establishments along the way. And one of the restaurants that has become near and dear to our hearts is in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. 
If you get off the highway in Tuscaloosa and uh, you make your way to Jug Factory Road and you start winding up through this neighborhood, there's a restaurant there called Dreamland Barbecue. And back in the day, it truly was a dreamland. When you're making your way down this road, when you get to the part of the, the road that you're pretty sure you're lost and you're pretty sure you're in the wrong place, that's when you can be absolutely certain that you're right where you're supposed to be. Because when you're around the corner, there's this red shack and it says Dreamland Barbecue, smoke billowing out of the, out of the shack. And you walk up to the door, there's a, a screen door, you walk inside, the restaurant is dark. There's all this Alabama Crimson Tide paraphernalia all over the walls, you know, a shrine to the Great Bear Bryant. You walk in, you find a seat, the waitress comes up and she asks you what you'd like to drink and she brings you a half a loaf of sunbeam white bread with some warm barbecue sauce and you sit down and you begin to get ready for her to come back and take your order. But the next part of your experience there is very important because she's going to come and ask you a question. And it's the most important question you're going to answer while you're in that restaurant. And she's going to come up and she's going to ask you this question. She's going to say, half slab or whole? Half slab or whole? You see, the thing that's unique about Dreamland Barbecue is they only do one thing. They do barbecue ribs. And one of the things you'll notice when you go with someone who's a rookie, with someone who's never been there before, is that they're not listening to the question. And so they follow up her question with their own questions. Like, do y'all do any pulled pork around here? Do y'all have any french fries? Do y'all have any baked beans or any slaw? And that's why back in the day, the waitresses would wear a t-shirt that would say, no fries, no beans, no slaw, don't ask. Half slab or whole. They do one thing. You can get a half a slab of barbecue ribs, or you can get a whole slab of barbecue ribs, but that's the only thing that Dreamland Barbecue does. The one thing that they've discovered, which I would say is the success of all restaurants and probably all organizations, and certainly the success of churches, is this. Dreamland Barbecue understands what it means to keep the main thing the main thing. And... Um, one of the tragedies that I discovered through my phone call that I referenced a few moments ago when I called my friend on the phone and I was talking about the struggle we were having with making any progress in ministry with our church plan. When I asked him if he thought we needed to have some kind of secret sauce, if we needed to have some kind of magic in order to have a successful ministry, he reminded me of this, that the main thing in gospel ministry is to keep the main thing the main thing. We don't need a secret sauce. We don't need anything special. We don't need any magic because the Lord Jesus has given us the only thing that we do need, which is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's given us himself. And so this morning I want us to talk about gospel ministry, and that's the title of the message, but I want you to think about gospel ministry in a kind of a broader sense. When I talk about that, I'm not just talking about what happens at a church. I'm not just talking about what happens in a formal gathering, a small group, a home church, you know, a Sunday school class, children's ministry. I'm talking about the Christian life. When we talk about gospel ministry, we're talking about what it is that's supposed to be central, what it is that's supposed to be that central identifying characteristic of our churches, but also of ourselves. And I want us to see that really the main thing for the Christian life and the main thing for gospel ministry 
is the gospel itself. So we're going to talk about two things this morning. We're going to talk about the main thing for gospel ministry, and we're going to talk about how to keep the main thing the main thing. Paul tells us right out of the gate, he wastes no time showing us that the main thing in gospel ministry, you guessed it, is the gospel. The main thing in gospel ministry is the gospel. And, you know, it's one of those words that you can kind of think of as a little bit of a churchy word, but it's an important word because it's used throughout this passage, throughout this book, and throughout the Bible. Uh, But what Paul is saying about the gospel is that it's the main thing. It's the main thing in the church. It's the main thing in the Christian life, meaning it's what our lives and our churches must be saturated with. The goal is is that New City would be a church that just oozes the gospel out of all of its pores. All of its cracks and crevices are filled with the gospel. They're filled with good news. It means that the gospel is supposed to be not only at the center of our ministry and of our lives, but it means that the gospel is supposed to be the very center of our ministry and our lives. That's what it means to keep the gospel the main thing, the main thing. And so Paul helps us understand what the gospel is. He comes right out of the gate and he says that the gospel is two things. And the first thing he shows us that the gospel, what it is, is it's a message. It's an announcement. It's a proclamation. The gospel is a message of good news that's announced. Listen to this message that Paul announces in verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory who to whom be the glory forever and ever amen Paul Paul helps us understand what's the good news the good news is that we've been delivered from our sins the good news is that we've been rescued from our sins the good news is that God has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves and, and it's so beautiful because Paul brings in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ And I think it's safe to assume the Spirit's presence here as well. That that the gospel is Trinitarian. That the Father sent His Son, you know, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Son came and purchased our salvation. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for our sake He became poor, so that we by his poverty might become rich. That God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God. That the Lord Jesus purchased our salvation through his perfect life, his substitutionary death on the cross, his resurrection over sin and death and hell. And one day he's coming again to make all things new. And the Holy Spirit applied the finished work of Jesus to our lives. And Paul says, this is the message that must saturate your life, that must saturate your church. This, not, this is the message that's not only supposed to be at the center of your life and your church, it is the very center of your life and your church. You see, it's a message of good news, and this is really important because this is the problem with what the Judaizers were saying in Galatia. And we get this wrong, and we need to get it right. You see, we misunderstand. We don't realize at times that the gospel is good news because what we believe the gospel to be is good advice. That what God has given us in his word is he's given us a lot of good advice. Advice on how we can be better people. 
advice on how he can be saved, advice on how he can walk the straight and narrow. But that's not what the Bible's about, and that's not what the gospel is about. The gospel is not about what you do for God. The gospel is an announcement, please hear this, about what God has done for you. The gospel is good news, and Paul wants them to understand the message. It's, it's full of truth and content. You can't create the content. You can't make it up. You can't wish it to be. It is what it is. It's what God has revealed. Look what Paul says in verse 11. For, you know, for, you, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. It's not man's creation. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. The gospel is defined by Jesus. The message is the message that's been given to us by Jesus. But the second thing you need to see is that the gospel is not only a message, the gospel is also power. It's something that's alive within us, that when it's at the center, when it's the very center of our lives, when our lives are saturated with the gospel, then our lives have gospel power. It's this thing that's growing. It's this thing that's amazing. It's this thing that's incredible. Look what it says. In verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What does the gospel give us? The gospel has the power to give us the thing that we all desperately long for. Our entire world longs for this one thing, this very moment. And what does the gospel have the power to give us? Peace. There's not one person in this room that if you think about it just for a moment, we all desperately long for peace. The gospel has the power to give us peace. And how does it do it? It doesn't do it by our performance. It does it by grace. Grace and peace. That the peace and the salvation that the gospel brings is by grace alone. That's why Paul can say elsewhere in Romans chapter 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God. Do you hear that? It is the power of God. For the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, and then for the Gentile. You see, it's the responsibility of every minister, of every elder, of every deacon, of every Sunday school teacher, of every Christian, of every man, woman, boy, and girl, to keep the gospel not only at the center of their lives, but as the center of their lives. That our lives would be saturated with the gospel. What is it? Again, it's the message of good news about what Jesus has done for us, of his life and his death and his resurrection, and that he is coming again. And not only is it a message, but it is power, it's actual power that gives us peace. I'm a child of the 80s, and there's a great commercial in the 80s where there are these three old ladies that come up and they stare at this plate with an open-faced hamburger on it. And the first lady walks up and she says... It certainly is a big bun. And the second lady says, it's, it's a very big bun. The first lady says, it's a fluffy bun. And then the second lady says, it's a very big fluffy bun. And then the third lady who's with them asks the question that everybody's wanting to know the answer to. She says, where's the beef? Where's the beef? And so the question I have for you is, where's the gospel in your life right now? What's the center of your life? What is your life built on? Is it built on your preferences? Is it built on your convictions? 
Is it built on your wants and your desires and your likes and your dislikes? Or is your life saturated with the message and the power of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ? Is that at the center of your life? And is that the very center of your life? But the second thing is, is not just looking at the main thing. And of course, again, the main thing in gospel ministry is the gospel. But the second question is, how do we keep the main thing, the main thing. How do we keep the gospel the main thing in our lives and in our ministries? How do we make sure that our lives and our ministries are saturated and centered on the gospel? And there's three ways that Paul tells us that we do it. The first thing we do is we preach the gospel. The second thing we do is we protect the gospel. And the third thing we do is we trust the gospel to work. First thing we do is we preach the gospel. And this is one of those things that you need to understand. You can never preach about Jesus too much. You can never preach about the gospel too much. You can never preach about what Christ has done through his perfect life and his atoning death and his resurrection too much. I would suggest to you that there's nothing else to preach. That the only thing that we have to preach is the good news of the redemption that we have in Jesus. And when I'm talking about preaching, I'm not just talking about what the person does on Sunday mornings behind this black pulpit. I'm talking about the little p. I'm talking about the things that you say to yourself when you're in the car. The things that you say when you're on a walk or in the shower or getting ready for work. I'm talking about that message, that tape that's playing in your mind. I'm not just talking about what you say to yourself. I'm talking about what you say to other people. The only message, the only message of hope, the only message of peace that we have to extend to other people is the gospel. And the way that we keep the gospel at the center of our lives and the way that we keep the gospel at the center of our churches is by preaching the gospel. There's a story of the Welsh Protestant minister, also a medical doctor. His name is Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he was the minister for 30 years at Westminster Chapel in London. And one of the things I love about Martin Lloyd-Jones is because he was a doctor, kind of like reading the Gospel of Luke, if you don't know this, uh, Luke was a physician, Luke was a doctor, and so when you read his Gospel, some of his medical expertise shines through in the way that he writes. And so when Martin Lloyd-Jones was a minister, since he was also a medical doctor, one of the things he was very gifted at was diagnosis. How to diagnose what was going on, how to look at where the problem was. And one of the, he writes this book entitled Preaching and Preachers. It's, it's a book written to preachers. And he talks about how there's, there's this responsibility of diagnosis that it exists both for the pulpit, the preacher, and for the pew, the people that are sitting there listening to the preaching. And the preacher's job, of course, he has to diagnose himself. But as the preacher, his primary responsibility is to diagnose the people that he's preaching to. And the people that are being preached to... Their responsibility is to diagnose themselves. And he says that there's this egregious error, this dangerous thing that so often happens. He says this, the main danger confronting the pulpit is to assume that all who claim to be Christians and all who think they are Christians and all who are members of the church are therefore of necessity Christians. He says the problem is, is that you show up and you assume that all the people that are in the room are Christians. Now, I don't mean this is an insulting way, but, I, you know, obviously there's, there's more chairs that could be filled. This room's, you know, we're not just packed from wall to wall and from, you know, front to back. 
So the assumption that I can make is that because there's you know, some folks who've shown up on the 4th of July out of all the Sundays, that everybody that's here must be a strong believer. But Martin Lloyd-Jones would say that's, that's a mistake to make that. And he gives this example. He says that there was a minister in Toronto, Canada, who invited him to come and preach for nine weeks. This minister was going out of town. And so he went, and he, uh, on the first Sunday that he was there, the minister was on vacation, but he had not technically left the building yet. And so the minister, the senior pastor, got up and said, we want to welcome Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's going to be preaching here morning and evening for the next nine Sundays. We're glad to have him. And so Dr. Lloyd-Jones took the pulpit, and he looked out at the congregation. He said, I want to tell you a little bit about how I'm going to preach, what my ministry is going to look like over the next nine weeks. The first thing I want you to know is that in the mornings, I'm going to assume that I'm preaching to people who are Christians. I'm going to assume that the people that I'm preaching to are professing believers. And so my ministry will, will you know, be consistent with that. But I want you to know that in the evenings, I'm going to assume that the people that I'm preaching to are not Christians. That they're seekers. That they're people who are trying to work out kind of the spirituality in their own lives. And so my preaching in the evening will be more evangelistic. And so after the sermon was over and after the service was over, he was standing with the senior minister and they were shaking hands of everybody that was walking out. And the senior minister saw this old lady that was about to kind of approach them to shake their hands. And he leaned over to, to Martin Lloyd Jones and he said, hey, you see that old lady back there? She's our most important member. She's our biggest giver. She gives the most money to advance the cause of our ministry here. Which you know when you're a guest minister and the, the existing pastor tells you that. You know what he means. He, you need to be really kind to her. You need to be extra kind to her. You need to you know, not blow it because we need her to like you. And so the older lady walks up and sees Martin Lloyd-Jones. And she says, I have, I have a question I want to ask you, sir. I said, what, what is it? He's, she said, did I understand correctly that you said in the morning that you're going to preach as if all the people that are here are believers, and so your preaching will be consistent with that kind of diagnosis. And did I understand that you said that in the evening you're going to preach in such a way as that you assume that the people that are here are not believers, that they're not Christians, that they're seeking, they're trying to figure out their spirituality. And Martin Lynn Jones said, yes, yes you did, you, you understood me correctly. And she said, I'll see you this evening. Now, the senior minister said that this woman had never been to the evening service in her entire time at this church. But for the next nine Sundays, she did not miss one Sunday. And she invited Martin Lloyd-Jones into her house, and he sat with her and met with her. And one of the things you would notice from the outside looking in is that this woman had an exemplary life. For all practical purposes, she looked like she had her life all put together. But when he sat with her, what he discovered about her was that she was in great distress. Please hear this word. She had no peace. She was troubled. She didn't understand how to make sense of who she was as a spiritual creature. She did not know how to make sense of the gospel. Here's the point. She sat in the pew every Sunday. She was not a Christian. You can never preach the gospel too much. And here's the other thing you got to know. If you are a Christian and you hear the gospel, 
The thing that should happen in your life when you hear it is what we were just talking about up here on the stage a few moments ago. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How can you not say hallelujah when you hear he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all? How will he not also along with us, with him graciously give us all things? But the second thing we have to do is we have to protect the gospel. And this is one of those parts of this passage that perhaps might be a little uncomfortable for us, but we need to hear what the Apostle Paul has to say. Look what he says in verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. That Paul is blown away. Paul is astonished. And what's he astonished about? He's astonished because they're deserting. This, this concept of deserting into you know, the language in the Greek is the idea, it's like a military term. It has to do with a spiritual turncoat, that you're changing sides, that you're changing teams, that you're playing for our opponent. But, but what are they doing? They're turning to a different gospel. So the question is, what could have possibly caused these people to turn away from the gospel of Jesus that Paul preached and to turn to a different gospel that Paul says is no gospel at all? Well, we know why. Paul tells us, says it this, Verse 7, uh, he says, second part of that verse, there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. This, the concept of trouble is the idea of shake or agitate. So picture a washing machine with your clothes in it, and it agitates the clothes. And that's what these people are doing to the church. I'm not wanting to be ugly or point fingers at other people. I just want us to recognize our cultural moment. And what's going on in our world right now is a lot of agitation. There's a whole lot of agitation going on. There's a whole lot of troubling and there's a whole lot of shaking. And because of all the shaking and agitating, what happened to these people? They turned to a different gospel. They turned to a different place to find salvation and to find peace. And if you really know yourself and if you're really being honest, then you would have to acknowledge that every person in this room is prone and liable to do the very same thing. That we're looking for something that can satisfy us. And Paul is saying you cannot turn to a different gospel because there is no other gospel. The gospel they were preaching is that, yeah, you must believe in Jesus. You must trust in Him, but you also must finish the unfinished work of Christ. You need to be circumcised and you need to keep the law if you want to be saved. But Paul is very clear about how we ha he protects this gospel. He says, you can't entertain that even for a moment. He says in Galatians chapter 3, he says, who has bewitched you? Meaning that this is a doctrine of demons, that there's something de demonic that's being proclaimed and preached to these Christians in Galatia. And then Paul shows us what it looks like to protect the gospel. Look what he says in verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Let me translate what that means. And this is exactly what that means. If anyone preaches another gospel other than one that I preach to you, other than the one that comes from the Lord Jesus himself, let that person be sent straight to hell. If anyone preaches another gospel other than the one true gospel, let that person be sent straight to hell. Let me translate, because Paul talks about angels. 
even if the angel Gabriel shows up on the scene, an angel that we have fond feelings for, even if he shows up and he preaches another gospel other than the one that I preached to you, let him be sent straight to hell. You see, and this is why Paul says this. Do you notice what he says in um, verse 6? This is a real important language. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting what? It's not what, is it? He doesn't say, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the gospel. He says, I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting who? That you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. Please hear this. This is very, very important. If you turn away from the gospel of grace, then you turn away from the God of grace. To turn away from the gospel of grace is to turn away from the God of grace. That's why it's such a big deal. That's why we must protect the gospel. But the last thing we have to do is we have to trust the gospel to work. Look what Paul says in verse 4. This is language that we're not all that used to, uh, but boy, it sure does fit culturally. He says, who gave himself for our sins, talking about the Lord Jesus, to deliver us from what? What does it say? To deliver us from what? And here it doesn't say from our sins, although, you know, that's implied and that's assumed. But what does it say? To deliver us from the present evil age. The the Scripture divides all of history into two ages, the the present evil age and the age which is to come. And if you read, it doesn't matter who your favorite, you know, what your favorite website for news is or what your favorite channel for news is or what your favorite magazine or blog or newspaper, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're on the left or if you're on the right. It doesn't matter if you're conservative or if you're a liberal. It doesn't matter because guess what? Everybody in our world is up in arms over what? the present evil age. Because everybody in our world at least agrees on this, that our world is broken and that it needs to be made right. I haven't read one author from either side of the aisle who doesn't agree that our world is a mess and it needs to be put back together. Now, there are those who are outside of the church who have their suggestions, who have their convictions, who have their way in which the world should be put back together. They have their ideas of where we look for rescue. And the primary source of rescue for people outside of the church comes from us. All they really have for us is a message of good advice. Here are the things that you need to do in order for our world to be a better place. But the question is, what's the message from the people who are inside of the church. What's their message? I mean, because this is what Paul's talking about rescue, and what Paul is saying is, is that the gospel, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us. What, what did Jesus come to deliver us from? From the present evil age. What's the message that those inside the church are proclaiming to themselves and to everybody else about where the rescue comes from? for the present evil age. And this is the thing that keeps me up at night. I was just sitting down with uh, some friends around a dinner table and, you know, 
the conversation, you, on one hand, you could say the conversation turned political because we're talking about, you know, all the different issues that are going on in our world, you know, the ethical issues, whether it has to do, we were talking about um, kind of sexual identity issues, you talk about race, you talk about government, you talk about all these things, you talk about the problems, and the conversation was all about how perplexed this group of people at the table were over our present evil age. And what they were frustrated about was what is the church doing about it? What's the church doing? Are we just going to stand by? And the suggestion from the people that were sitting at the table with me was that the world that we live in is without law. It's lawless. It's filled with lawbreakers. It's filled with people who are off the deep end. It's filled with people who are doing all kinds of evil things. And they need to get right. And it needs to be corrected. And we need to do right. And the suggestion was that We've just kind of gotten away from all the laws. We've gotten away from all the, the, the obedience and doing right and all these things. And we need our churches and we need our pastors to start preaching about sin. And we need our churches and we need our pastors to start speaking up about what's right. About getting back to what's right. About doing what's right because we have all these evil people and they're dragging us and our children and our grandchildren down, down, the, down the drain. And we've got to rescue them. And how do we rescue them? By getting back to what's right. And I said, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying and I agree with it. I understand that the world is broken. And I understand that the world is without law. And I understand that there are all these evil people and agencies and groups and everything else that are dragging and distorting people and ruining lives. But the question is, what has God given to us that we might rescue them? Because if you read later in this, this letter, Paul says, if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself a transgressor. What Paul's talking about there is this. Paul was well acquainted with the law. He was well acquainted with doing right. And he spent pretty much the majority of his life up until this point, his whole agenda in life was to do right. His whole agenda in life was to keep the law. And what Paul discovered through his trying to keep the law was simply this, that he was a lawbreaker, that he could not keep the law, that the law was never given as a means, very important, of a rescue People are not rescued by the law. He says, if I rebuild what I tore down, i.e. the law, the only thing that I'm going to do is show everybody how sick they are and show myself how sick I am. What's the only cure? You guessed it. The gospel. The gospel. People, our world doesn't need good advice. Our world doesn't need to do right. Our world doesn't need us to show them how to be good. Our world needs us to announce to them the good news of Jesus. And so what's that? that's why the third thing we have to do in order to keep the gospel at the center of our lives and our ministry is what? To trust the gospel to work. To trust it to work. Let me end with this. Brings us back to Romans 1 where Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. The gospel is the power. So think about this. Why is it that we have to add something to the gospel today in order to get our way? 
Our world's full of all kinds of problems, political problems, ethical problems, sexual problems. Every, every, there's, there's, there's hardly any problem our world's not filled with. What's the power of rescue for all those problems? Why is it that we feel so much pressure to come up with a new strategy, a new scenario to go back to where this whole thing started? A new secret sauce in order to get things the way we want them to be. And this is going to be really hard for us all to hear. Let me tell you the problem. Because we are ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is all we need. Because the gospel is all about Jesus. It's all about Him. It's all about what He's done and what He's doing and what He will do. It's all about His power. And so my friends, let's preach the gospel. Let's protect the gospel. And let's trust it to work. Let's keep it at the main, at the center of our lives and of our churches. To God be the glory. Amen. Let me pray for us. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true and it's trustworthy. Uh, we thank you even more that it's not just a message of truth, but that it's alive, it's living, it's active, it's powerful. And we pray that our lives would be so saturated with the good news of Jesus, what he has done for us, what he's doing for us, and what he will do, that when people come around us, that we would smell different. And what they would smell would be this incredibly attractive aroma of the gospel of grace, that we would look different. Because we wouldn't be trying to prove ourselves. Because we would know that we are already right and accepted in you. That we are approved in you. And we pray that you would change our lives and that you would change our world. Through the power of the gospel of Christ. And this we pray in Jesus name. Amen.